0: Patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone, and welcome to episode 95 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylowski. Thank you all so much for joining me this week for our Sacred Honor Series episode featuring our final Connecticut representative at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, Oliver Wolcott. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest notifications for new episodes and new content coming out soon. We got episodes every week, and I will be sure to list the upcoming major announcements later this summer. We've got some big changes coming up, and I hope you will join us then. Wolcott was born on November 20th, 1726 in Windsor, Connecticut. His father, Roger Wolcott, was actually a colonial the colonial governor for Connecticut from 1751 to 1754. He was a very, very brilliant person, Attended Yale, graduated in 1747, and he got a lot of experience with militias. And you will kind of know that he is very much one of those militia focused signers. He very much believed that in order to achieve change, achieve that independence, which he was a strong supporter of, you really need to have the boots on the ground, boots on the ground in in the political leadership element as well as the military leadership element. Wolcott got a lot of experience working with different leaders during his time during the French and Indian War. In particular, when it comes to the combat and the understanding of different Indian tribes and Indian nations, you know, some of them, most of them were sided with the British, but he also understood that certain Indian tribes wanted certain demands or certain certain negotiation terms with the colonists in the middle of this battle. And you'll see later why it kind of pays off for him. After the French and Indian War, Wolcott moved to Litchfield, Connecticut, and there he really got involved in local politics. He was elected sheriff, he represented Litchfield in the General Assembly, and he later served in the colonial state legislatures as part of representing Litchfield, and he also served as a judge and got very interested in law. Wolcott was also very active in the militia, and as explained earlier, he really got a lot of that firsthand experience leading a group of men to fight against the British and also opposing Indian tribes. He also was able to really rise through those ranks, not just get that militia experience. He served as captain and then a major in 1771, was then promoted to a colonel in 1774, later was named a major general. Now, while he was a major general, he focused a lot more on Connecticut, probably because he just had that knowledge of the uh, the colony and knowledge of the you know the battlefields or the the towns or the places and the people he knew back at home, and so he really took that advantage and became a, an elected member of the Connecticut Council in 1774, which he used to. Bolster up his political career. He was selected as a delegate to the Continental Congress, and he was someone who not only knew the battlefield, but like I said earlier, he understood Indian affairs incredibly well. Now, some people might be wondering, well, if the Indian tribes were more aligned with the British, why was there a need for someone like Wolcott to be an arbiter or a negotiator with Indian tribes? Well, the reason why is because certain Indian tribes, including the Iroquois and some others, wanted to remain neutral, but they didn't want to be neutral just for the sake of preserving peace or you know, satisfying both sides. It was also a matter of tribal politics. It was also a matter of land claims. We actually have had certain signers deal with these kinds of issues as part of the Continental Congress, and Wolcott... We'll kind- just as, even though he was a modest person, wasn't really that kind of person. He wasn't like John Adams, who was not like Samuel Adams, who were incredibly fiery, certainly not like Patrick Henry, for crying out loud, but he understood that his role was based on his skill set. He was able to work with the different nations, I believe it was called the Six Nations, to achieve some kind of temporary neutrality for those Indian nations. Wolcott was also very very vocal about independence. He wrote in April 1776 just months before the Declaration of Independence was signed. He said, quote, "A final separation between the countries I consider as un- unavoidable." He was very very active with the debates. However, he got a little sick and had to go home a little bit. However, What was very, very unique, though, is that he was still able to maintain those strong connections with other political leaders, including Governor Jonathan Trumbull, whom we mentioned in the last episode of the Sacred Honor Series with another Connecticut delegate here, with Roger Sherman and William Williams in particular. With regards to Wolcott and the Declaration of Independence itself, the reading, obviously the readings were huge, huge political demonstrations. There, it really was a demonstration. Was, I mean, people could read, literally, but to be able to have someone be an orator and deliver that speech to members of the public, it was an opportunity for local and state officials to and to sh- showcase their support to garner and galvanize people for the independence cause. On July 9th, 1776, there was a reading of the Declaration of Independence to some soldiers. And there was it was none other than General George Washington reading the Declaration of Independence. Wolcott was there in New York City, and the story goes is that a wild demonstration happened. All these people went straight to this giant equestrian statue of George III. This statue weighed four thousand pounds. It was actually the site is a place called Bowling Green which to this day you can still visit down in lower Manhattan, very close to the Wall Street and the Financial District. What what happened was that because of this statue that was completely made of lead with a little bit of gold, it was completely destroyed by this mob. And guess what happens when a bunch of soldiers and other protesters did to uh, deal with the destroyed pieces of this sequestering statue. And they melted it down. <laughs> with, with the help of some of Wolcott's family, and some, I mean, countless people per- participated in this, uh, but Wolcott's children were actually so involved in the making of bullets from this melted statue that there apparently was some kind of list of the number of bullets that each of these kids made. People loaded the lead onto wagons, shipped them over to Connecticut or wherever the the bullets were being made, particularly Connecticut, because that's where all Wolcott's kids gathered around uh, with the help of some other people around the area were able to melt down all these bullets to total, according to the Connecticut Historical Society, up to 42,088 bullets. Wolcott appointed the Brigadier General. He was later one to take those bullets from Connecticut to Saratoga, and, w- and that is where the notable battle happened, where the militia, as well as uh, General Arnold and General Gates, uh, all gathered together to defeat the British Army, uh, which was led by General Burgoyne. And that famous painting in the Capitol Rotunda really depicts that surrender. Uh, it's just re- so interesting how in these stories of different signers who all came from these different parts of the colonies, were able to contribute to these large battles, and every single one of them played their own role. Like I said, Wolcott was not a very prolific speaker, so it just it wouldn't make sense for him to even be the president of the Congress, to really be considered. Nothing against his record personally, but this is a very, very common theme that I've seen so far, and hopefully something that listeners like yourself have they're heard throughout the Sacred Honor series. When every single person knows their specific strengths and weaknesses and is able to find those roles and be able to do well in those roles for a larger effort, that is when you can have incremental change in society. That's how changes like during the civil rights movement or during the abolitionism, were the, the people who were most successful, at least in my view, were the ones who uh, were able to lead, were able to give people vision but to have specific people work towards that vision to make it a reality. Because of his unwavering support for independence for all those years, his experience in the battlefield, and his connections that he made with the political class in Connecticut, Oliver Wolcott becomes the 13th signer of the Declaration of Independence. Wolcott was a modest guy, but he was also one to write occasionally, And this is what he said to his wife. He wrote, quote, whether the army will succeed in their cruel designs against this city must be left to time to discover. Speaking about the British Army in this case. Congress has ordered the general to defend it to the last extremity, and God grant that he may be successful in his exertions. Whatever event may take place, the American cause will be supported to the last, and I trust in God that it will succeed. The Grecian, Roman, and Dutch states were in their infancy reduced to the greatest distress, infinitely beyond what we have yet experienced. The God who governs the universe and who holds empires in his hand can, with the least effort of his will, grant us all that security, opulence, and power which they have enjoyed. May the Almighty ever have you and them in his protection, unquote. Wolcott was a very dedicated Christian. He fervently believed in the power of faith, and certainly in those difficult times. Remember, by signing that Declaration of Independence, he could have been caught, he could have been executed, perhaps, at the, at the worst, and certainly, who knows what would have happened to his family had the British found out that he was behind all of the causes for independence, particularly on the militia front. Wolcott was also widely praised for confronting General William Tryon, British general who invaded Connecticut. It wasn't just a typical invasion, though. When Tryon was invading Connecticut, he was literally breaking every single rulebook within the rules of war. He targeted women and children, reportedly. He absolutely looted people's homes and farms. He was actually even going to be called out by some on the loyalist side who wanted to win the war but didn't want to do so in a way that would make the British look bad. While Wilcox was not successful in confronting or in terms of completely defeating Tryon in his efforts to raid Connecticut, he did make a lasting impression that the British could at the very minimum, be slowed down and could potentially lose this Revolutionary War. Wolcott was eventually re-elected to Congress in 1780. Uh, although he was not one of those more active members, he was busy with doing some other things, including uh, running for office in Connecticut and at his home state, helped negotiate some treaties with Indian nations. Uh, He was also very, very much firmly supportive of the ratification of the Constitution in 1787. I figure that just like many people at that time, he probably didn't agree with every single provision in the Constitution, but he firmly supported that with this whole effort of fighting for independence, at the very minimum, people can revolve around some kind of unity, national unity, a starting framework for people to not only live under a civil society, but to be able to reform it should there there be a political mandate to do so. Wolcott did eventually become governor, which was held by his father, although in a very, very different situation because he was governor in a new country. He was governor of Connecticut, the 19th governor from 1796 to 1797. While there wasn't a whole lot of literature I was able to find under his governorship, I imagine that he was very much instrumental, just like some other governors at the time, including Samuel Huntington, who preceded him. He was very instrumental in setting up Connecticut, one of the 13 original colonies, to be able to set up as a new state. You know, So many logistical and administrative tasks had to be put together to establish a government, to be able, with this new constitution – there was so much work behind the scenes to hire all the civil servants, hire all the leaders, and get all the leaders elected, uh, to be able to provide government services for all the different municipalities. So much had to go in, in, into making Connecticut a state, just like any other new state that was to come in the new union. Wolcott's governorship was incredibly brief, and on December 1st, 1797, uh, Wolcott passes away at the age of 71 in Litchfield, Connecticut. Contemporaries have commented on Wolcott's modest behavior, but also his ability to get things done, especially on the battlefield. One man wrote, quote, as a patriot and a statesman, a Christian and a man, Governor Wolcott presented a bright example for inflexibility, virtue, piety, and integrity were his prominent characteristics, unquote. He was seen as someone who was very brilliant with his mind. He was also able to really work with uh, people who differed him on certain issues. He was also very fervently opposed to uh, his opponents. Certainly, in his experience fighting on the battlefield, literally leading militias in Connecticut during the war, he he was able to understand the difference between a an, a, an actual opponent versus an enemy, I would argue. He was often very modest. He also understood the importance of trust. He also valued the importance of friendship, which is something that he felt was very core to his character and the way that he was able to conduct himself in his political career, but also just in his personal life. He was very well respected by a lot of people. He apparently. Knew a lot of about science. I mean, there's there's some of these some of these signers really knew a lot of things. It's almost like they could be worthy for uh, for a Jeopardy episode. <laughs> but anyway, Walcott was one. He had a very extensive family later down the line. Uh, Oliver Walcott Jr. became a governor in the 1810s. Uh, it just goes on a lot of interesting stories, little interesting descendants. Maybe maybe one or more of them will be featured in a future episode about American history and civics. By thinking about Wolcott's contributions, he was mainly a militia person, but I do think that there are some things that we can learn from General Wolcott or Governor Wolcott. The first is that it is so important to build trust and build alliances. I mentioned his relationship with Governor Trumbull. I would argue that his relationship with the people he knew down on the ground made him, not, while not the most perfect general, the fact that he was able to rally around these cause, this cause of independence, to be able to rally around locals, to contribute to a, a battlefield that was outside of the state in Saratoga, it meant that he was able to you know the strengths of his constituency, but also to be able to be a modest leader. In getting more followers. He knew he couldn't do it himself. As much as the Wolcott family was so generous with donating blankets and other military supplies to uh, militias, which I think I would argue was a huge, huge persuasion success, it shows that he was not afraid to take matters in his own hands. And so by building these alliances, building that trust, I, I would reemphasize that Wolcott was essentially very adept at building these alliances, and it's something that we can do all the time. If we can believe in something, if we can believe in a cause, if we truly believe in it, and I believe that it is possible to reach out to others to try and build alliances, but not just to build alliances just for oneself, but to do so for a larger cause that is bigger than any one of us. Another takeaway I would say that really connects Wolcott with the needs that we have in today's society, is we need to be specific about what we are asking for from our political class. I've used this example because of Wolcott's involvement in the independence movement. But he was not just one to say, all right, let's just believe in independence. Let's just say that we're independence. Let's just declare that we're independent and all will go pretty smoothly. Well, how do you think that would have figured in the 1770s, much less at any time in history. He chose not to take action. He chose to support the militias. Why is that important? Because I feel like nowadays with today's politics and today's political environment, too often we hear people from political leaders down to uh, common citizens. I always hear people say, we've got to take action. We've got to take action, some kind of action, any kind of action. I I, I always want to say to them, if anyone could just take any action, why, why should we lower the bar to take action when we can do something that's even greater or do something that at the very minimum is specific? Probably the most recent example that I've heard this kind of rhetoric, while it touches upon almost virtually every single subject in politics, it's probably no more apparent than in the realm of the Second Amendment and of preventing gun violence. In the wake of the tragic shooting in Uvalde, Texas, I've heard a number of different things from from different people, including what government leaders have been trying to say or what protesters at certain events have tried to say. Unfortunately, the most common denominator that people in this day and age, largely speaking, have come up with is we've got to take action. But what is that action? Why can't we name a specific legislative item, a specific action that could prevent a tragedy like what happened in Uvalde, Texas? I think the first thing, though, that when, before we name something specific is we need to know the specific cause or the specific problem that we are trying to solve. Unfortunately, in this day and age, gun violence is a very, very broad topic. Every single locality, every single state, every single, uh, every single uh, part of the country is facing gun violence, but at different threat levels. Some are not facing really any kind of gun violence well, threats. Others are facing an epidemic. Well, we need to know exactly what it is that we are trying to figure out. Think about if Wolcott just said, well, you know— The British Army is very, very powerful. They've got all these weapons and whatnot. We've got to stop them. Well, imagine if he tried to put that case out in front of the Continental Congress. How do you think people would react then? I would guess people would either kind of mock him for what he's saying, or they would just not do anything. Because if they're not given a mandate, if they don't really know specifically what people are calling for, what representatives like Walcott and others are calling for, then of course there there cannot be any sort of specific action. So we need to know the specific problem. What it is that we need to prevent? Is it a, a leg- is it a policy about background checks? I'm just putting it out there as an example, but we've really gotten to a point where we can't even identify the specific problem anymore. I believe that most people have good intentions. However, good intentions don't automatically lead to answers and or action. By just saying that you want something to be done, it's just not enough. I hope that people, at the very minimum, can read more about gun violence statistics, learn more about what it is that's causing people to take their own lives or take others' lives. It is a truly, truly tragic epidemic that's happening in a number of different pockets around the country. Certainly, crime has risen a lot as of 2022. I've seen a lot of very, very disturbing numbers coming from metro areas. When it comes to tragedies like what happened to Uvalde, Texas, I hope we also give authorities some time to be able to identify what exactly happened so that people can piece together what we know, what we perhaps don't know. And over time, as we think about how we prevent such tragedies, we do so in the perhaps in the least divisive manner. Perhaps one of the biggest reasons why we are div- divided in this country is because we are not specific, or we are not united on anything specific. We we say that we're united on preventing gun violence, but when it comes to specifics, it seems like no one is there. Throughout the course of the series of the Sacred Honor series specifically what has really intrigued me is that every single signer has different qualifications some overlap but every single one has different qualifications different experience and they ended up doing different specific things for the cause of the American revolution if we just assume that every single per, every single signer was just like General Washington, a bunch of General Washingtons, or just a bunch of people who picked up a gun and started firing at the British soldiers, I don't think we would ever be able to understand how a revolution is built, because if we don't understand how change is made, or the kinds of people who are behind change, we can never be able to replicate that process of creating positive change and positive reform for preventing gun violence in the short term and in the long term. And finally, kind of based on the previous point here, I would say we need to very be very specific about our actions. When Wolcott was the one distributing blankets and military supplies, now he, I don't think he was gloating, but when people asked him, what are you doing to support the cause? He could literally point to the, to the blankets and the very military supplies that he provided to the militia groups. He could say that he was behind the scenes on logistics arranging for the militia to move from Connecticut and fight in Saratoga. General Wolcott teaches us that to be able to have a leadership position and to maintain it well, one needs to know specifically what he or she has done for a particular cause. Similar to what I've said before about not people not being specific about the solutions, I don't think people are being specific about their actions either. If we were more honest about what we were doing and the reality of doing what we are doing, the consequences or the lack of consequences, then we could we might be in a better situation in politics today. However, when I see people demonstrating but without any kind of specific message or even just a real expectation for what is to happen, then those are the kinds of prizes that we get. I love the saying that I heard a while ago. It said, if you you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. (laughs) And that's exactly what I think is unfortunately happening in our politics today. When When we play for nothing, we don't get anything. I hope that Wolcott teaches us that with this particular vision or particular belief in a cause, that there are specific things that we can all do and things that... We should be able to name for others. If we love volunteering and encouraging people to vote, and they're working at polling stations. I think people should, at the very minimum, be honest and say, "I'm this is what I'm doing if you're being asked. I hope that if anyone's interested in creating, let's say as an example, media content for a campaign on YouTube or on any other platform, that is a specific action, a specific way of doing something. I hope that Wolcott has shown that when we are specific about our actions, I think it represents a genuine effort and a genuine belief in what we have as as people, as voters, and as a citizenry overall. And only time and effort will tell when a change is made to make our streets safer, when specific legislation is passed and when people can come together to have more civil conversations and debates about the issues that matter to the American people. And with that, thank you all so much for listening to this episode about Oliver Wolcott, our final Connecticut delegate for the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Make sure to subscribe once again to our podcast to get the latest notifications about new content. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.